lost in translation? Flavor spectrums? But just exactly how nuanced is your weather? Welcome to What Is It About the Weather podcast, where we explore the many ways the weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelanek. And this week, well, we're going to be talking about subtle weather. Or actually, you know, subtle, impactful weather, even. Before we get there, as always, I hope you're having good weather. I'm surviving a heat wave. I know a lot of people around the globe are. It's far from just me. And, you know, I had somebody ask me this week if they if I had any recommendations about dealing with heat waves, you know, if they're not used to dealing with them. And that's the thing, right? So often we get these situations where maybe it's just out of our wheelhouse. And this is true for a lot of places around the globe. In the U.S., it is very common for homes to have central air conditioning. And that's because in a lot of parts of the country, you just can't get by without it. But but it's not everywhere. And so if you go to older homes or in places that traditionally don't have it, they may be stretching for it. But it's not uncommon in many parts of the globe to just not have it, right? And I spent many years in Chile, didn't have air conditioning in my home, had none. And I used to have this period that I used to call the the hot 90s. And it was 90 days where, you know, kind of in that window, it was very normal to have high temperatures above 90 degrees Fahrenheit. And while the humidity was generally lower in Santiago, it doesn't make it cool when you don't have air conditioning. And I was working in that environment. And so, you know, used to kind of doing it. But when I was posed that question, I, there were two things that kind of came to mind. One is try to have a place that you can get to that has water. And I actually did that this weekend. I went on a hike, still needed to get some exercise. Didn't go out in the heat of the day, but but I did a hike with two things. One is I made sure there was a good tree cover canopy, which helps. It really does help. But the other thing I did was did hikes where there was water located. Now, there's a couple of things that can achieve. One, a lot of times when you've got water going on, there's this whole thing about evaporative cooling, and I'm going to talk a, a bit about that in a moment, but the other piece is just getting in the water, and while it may not be real cool, water is a much better conductor of temperature than the air around us, so it does provide an opportunity to quickly bring temperature of your skin and your body accordingly to a lower level than it might be in the air around you. And that's why you can, you know, there's the equal danger when water's too cold and you could suffer from hypothermia. But that that's part number one. Now, part two in this is even if you're in a location where your home doesn't have air conditioning, a lot of times, whether it's an office, so sometimes actually going back into the office can be a good thing, or just like a shopping area, an indoor shopping mall or center or something, or even a store. So I used to live less than, I don't know, half a kilometer, so not even half a mile from a big, I'd call it, you know, a large grocery store or a superstore kind of thing, you know, like a Walmart or, you know, if you're in Europe, like a big Carrefour, so I, any of these types of things, big, a big store that's partly grocery store, partly other stuff, right? But one of the benefits they had is they had air conditioning, and it was a quick way that if it was really hot that I could get into AC and take advantage of AC that was going to be created anyways without starting a car. Some people do that. Some people crank up a car if they have air conditioning in their car. But those are just a 
couple of quick recommendations, you know, that go along with try not to be doing things outside in the heat of the day, etc. But dealing with it, it's going to be kind of part of what we talk about today about this kind of subtle weather weather thing. But I, I thought I'd get out the advice area first. Next thing. Truffle chips, yes, this has nothing to do with weather, but Trader Joe's, I don't know if you have a Trader Joe's where you are, but it's not just them. I've seen a couple people in a couple brands, whether it's truffle fries or truffle potato chips, you know me and potatoes, and I'm going to try it. What is our fascination with truffle oil these days? It, It feels like every few years we get one of these things, and I will tell you, while I find the flavor distinctive and I can handle it in small quantities, I don't want it on my potato chips or in my potatoes in general. It, it, it's just too overwhelming. It is not a subtle flavor. And so I, I give that a, a no vote. So I will just tell you that someone actually in the Trader Joe's store highly recommended it said, oh, these things are great. But I will tell you, unless you are truly one of those people that can eat one or two potato chips, way too strong. So I, I vote against them. The other thing I've been doing to try to stay cool is I read this article about chasing snowstorms. It's kind of a, an interesting, it's a great time of year for those articles to be published. And no, I don't always think that mentally that works to cool us off, but it can't hurt, right? So I was reading about the idea, you know, you always hear about storm chasing and it being with tornadoes or these other things, or even it's gotten big with doing it with hurricanes to some extent too. But chasing snowstorms to try to get a better understanding because you know, snowstorm, whether it becomes a snow or a winter event, there there are subtleties in that, or I would say narrow margins of error, if you will, that determine how big these events are. So getting a better understanding of those, eh, this is one of those things I was doing the past the time. Got another question about drones. Heard from Aaron and he, he thanked me for not droning on about drones. Yeah, I got it, Aaron. And you did too. You put a little emoji in there. But but I, I got the reference anyways. He asked if there was anybody using kind of a drone force, if you will, for doing weather-related things today. And my quick answer is no. Of all the ones I looked into, the India Weather Balloon Replacement Project's the closest thing I saw to a, a large-scale deployment. But even that seemed like a, a local state or, or community that was going to implement that. I haven't seen it on a large scale, and I don't know if we're going to. I actually read another article today about a weather balloon location that was having to, that had halted launches because the scarcity of helium right now, and a lot of the weather balloon um, launches are switching over to hydrogen, which is more readily available, but it's also a little more volatile, so you got to be a little more careful. And so none of that's a good answer. And again, drones may not be the, you know, there are, there are challenges with drones. And I was, one of the things that I thought about that I probably should have mentioned that I didn't is when you think about a drone going up and how it goes up, weather balloons, pretty benign. It does certainly impact airflow as it's rising, but it doesn't mix air, right? And a drone certainly would. It would mix the air as it holds itself in a position or rises even as a rate. It is actually, those rotors turning are mixing the air, and you would want to make sure any instrumentation is not overly influenced by that. So it might have to hang a certain greater distance or, or you know, I don't know. And that's what I'm saying. We got, we got to look at that. But one of the other things that happened that I thought was really cool, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes, is there was a new weather balloon technology that was 
developed by some kid who won a, a scholarship for it. It was an IEEE award. And I'll, again, I'll put the link in the show notes if you like that kind of stuff. But it was just kind of neat. It, it was kind of, you know, I have those weeks where everything kind of comes full circle. And it was it was neat to see that story. But let's talk for a moment about evaporative cooling because I do get questions about this. And this is going to really lead us into the topic of kind of subtleties in subtleties and weather because evaporative cooling is one of those sort of background things that you don't really get a sense of unless you're around a situation where you really experience it. And the best way I still know to tell people to experience it is take a shower, right? And, or, or even better, go stand in front of a fan on a warm day when you're dry and just stand in front of a fan that's on low speed. And just feel the fan against your skin. Then after you get out of the shower, go stand by the fan again and notice how much cooler you feel in that state. Now, this, of course, requires there to be enough opportunity to evaporate the water off your skin. But it it should happen. This way you can do it without being out in the hot and sweating sort of thing. And you should notice that cooling effect. And, And really... The water phase change system, so this is where we go from either being, you know, a solid state into being liquid and then vapor, where you can't even go from solid to straight to evaporation. We don't call it that, but you can, it's called sublimation when you go from solid to vapor. Or we do the reverse, right? We go from this water vapor state to a liquid, so condensation to freezing. And again, you can kind of skip that step and, and go straight from vapor to frozen. And maybe you've seen that before where it all of a sudden this seems like ice crystals are forming on something. So those things, it's two different directions, right? And one of those directions releases heat into the surrounding environment. And the best way, the easiest way to think about that is when something is freezing and getting colder, right? I'm skipping too much of the depth of science here, but giving you the high-level process. Heat is taken out of it. So as things become more uh, slow-moving, more consolidated, if you will, so those states of going from vapor to the solid state, that string of events releases what we call latent heat. Okay, And the reverse of that is true when we're going from the solid to the vapor state in reverse or evaporating. So what it does is it actually takes heat, it uses heat from the, the surrounding environment to make that phase change. It uses that energy to create that phase change. So that's what evaporative cooling really is. And yes, a lot of times if you're, I don't know, maybe you've been around when steam's rising off the surface and yes, that is evaporation happening, right? But a lot of times that may actually feel warmer to you. A lot of it just depends on where you are relative to the evaporation that's taking place. So, but a lot of times, like even, and I noticed this on my hike this week, I was in areas where evaporation was clearly taking place and I was benefiting from that because the air was slightly cooler and I saw felt these different pockets of air, if you will, where I was going from drier areas to moister areas as the whole area was kind of heating up sort of thing. But that's the idea of how evaporative cooling works. I hope that made some sense and that works for you. But again, if you got questions, whether it's follow-ups to this or any others, just let me know. What is about the weather at gmail.com? Pop me an email. Just let me know your questions. Always glad to try to take a stab at them and hopefully give you a better explanation than maybe I've done in a previous episode or something you were just curious about. All right, we're going to talk about subtleties. And there are two things, as I kind of did in my intro statement, that, that we often think about with 
how a little bit of a difference can make a big outcome. And language and translations, you know, you've heard the phrase lost in translations, but language is one of those things. And this can be in both in the language you use in a maybe in a negotiation or in, in just trying to communicate something. And it doesn't even have to be spoken. It can be body language or other things. But a lot of times we do little things and it can have a very drastic outcome and a drastically different result or meaning. And this can happen because, again, the word choice or if you're, or if you're translating from language to language, I mean, particularly like in spoken, if you think of something like a, a Chinese or some other Asian dialect, a lot of times they use tones, right? And these tones, the word's spelled the same way, but the accents are different, and those accents are different tell you a different thing, right? It's a way to use the same word four times in, in the case of Chinese, and it can have four different meanings. And if and if you don't understand or can't aren't used to hearing those tones, it may just be completely lost on you, and you may get the wrong word, and that can be very impactful, as you can you can imagine. But we also, you know, another thing I thought about where, where it matters is cooking. And we've got this, I'll give you, you know, an example that came up with me recently. I was doing a, a chicken, kind of a chicken noodle soup. It was a couple months ago. And I was making this soup and I realized what I didn't have was celery. And you're thinking to yourself, celery, who cares? How much of a difference could that make? But you'd be surprised when you cook something for a long period of time, how something as simple as celery, the impact it has on flavors, right? And it's a subtle thing. It's not the primary. You know, we have these regions of our tongues, right? There's there's the salty section, there's the bitter, there's the sour, and there's the sugar, right, or the sweet. So you get these kind of four areas of your tongue, and each of them do different things, and each person has their own favorites and likes and don't likes, that sort of stuff. But there's one in the middle that for a long time was sort of not officially recognized. And there's a Japanese person who was very famous for kind of really focusing on it. And it's, you know, they call it umami. And umami is is sometimes referred to as the protein portion of your tongue. And it's where you get the flavors associated with like meats. It, it, and savory can be, again, kind of the wrong word because it implies a strong flavor. But a lot of times it's the subtle flavors, right? It's the flavors that don't fit into those other, what you would call very strong areas that, that you're used to getting uh, really impactful flavors, you know, really sweet or really bitter or sour or whatever it is, or very salty. And anytime you adjust those things, right, you add a little bit more salt, it can have a huge impact on what something tastes like. It goes from good to horrible or, you know, good to nothing near enough by very small amounts that we change. But other flavors, a lot of times it's knowing the right spice or knowing the right quantities. Even if you miss a little bit, it's not a big deal, but it can it can really change the palate, like change something from tasting like uh, Italian food to tasting like something from Spanish food. And, and there are huge differences, but you know, whether you're using saffron or oregano, it can make a big difference. And yet it doesn't fall into those other areas on your tongue, if you will. But weather, weather, when we think about it so often is blunt, right? Or the area we think of being impactful is so blunt. You thunderstorm or hurricane or tropical cyclone or winter storm, all those things I was kind of mentioning earlier on, they're kind of in your face and it could be feet of snow or, you know, I was watching, 
a storm rolling through the Midwest over the weekend, and it was you know tornadoes and just thousands of lightning strikes. And I've been witness to some of those before, and it's just you know it's there or a heavy rain. It doesn't matter so often, or even a strong wind. That stuff's really like really at you. But quite often, the most dangerous or impactful weather are the subtle kinds. So those things, you know, you get warnings for it. You kind of, in your mind, you know how to deal with it. But it's like a heat heat warning. What do you do with that? How, How do you do it? Because you don't see it necessarily happening. Sometimes you do. Sometimes there's things going on around you that you notice. But I think it's part of it's the subtle nature of how it comes about. And, you know, I saw reports this week where, It's estimated thousands of people in Europe have lost their lives with this latest heat wave. Thousands of people. Just think about that. From something that in theory, we all ought to have the time. Very seldom does it just happen suddenly. We all have a time to adjust and to compensate for it. But what will happen is it will build up over a couple days, even within our bodies. And if we're not cooling off enough... Over time, maybe we, we don't increase our level of hydration. And the next thing you know, you're in trouble, right? And I was reading another article, and it's called, you know, it's being kind of funny. It was called 50 Grades of, Grades of Shade, okay? You know, off the 50 Shades book. But the idea was pretty simple. It was... An experiment, speaking of little kind of cool cart things, they had this little, I don't know, you know, like a cart that you would take to the beach or something. It's metal frame, though. You to carry stuff around like a wagon sort of thing. And they put all these little weather instruments in there, and they were measuring the impacts of how different types of shade creation work and how effective they are. But, you know, I was thinking about this. I went out to get something outside this week, even it was hot, and I made a point of going through the park and even getting off the sidewalk into the grass because I know how much of a difference, even with the trees above, how much of a difference just being on grass is going to make being on a sidewalk surface, certainly versus being on a street. And they were analyzing how cities in theory could use these different things. And it doesn't always have to be plants, but it can also be different types of mechanisms for creating shade and how effective they might be, you know, in comparison to cost to create an environment where you're hopefully lowering, temp- lowering the temperatures. And this was done in the American America Southwest in a city that tends to get very hot. I think it was in the Phoenix area. But it's things like that, or it's things like evaporative cooling that you, when you know these things, if you know to go outside and take just a wash, if you're going somewhere hot, and as long as it's not really humid already, going, if you're going out and you have an opportunity to put, you know, carry a, like a washcloth or something and just put it on your skin and then lift it off and put it on, you know, maybe you're flipping it between arms or whatever, those sort of things help you heat regulate, right? And so understanding these little nuanced things that you can't always see can be very important in terms of safety and it's a similar one on the on the flip side right is something like fog because it kind of appears it doesn't have much fanfare actually it's most effective or most prominent when there are low winds right and other things aren't going out it's very still but the temperature differences create this environment in the air that you get fog and it can be extremely dangerous as we know, right? Or black ice is another one. Here you can go and you can go outside and, it, and it's the 
It's the subtlety of the type of surface you're on that's going to lead potential to spot A being drastically different and drastically more dangerous. In the city I grew up in, Atlanta, there's a lot of raised overpasses and stuff like that. And the city quite often in these ice snow events was right on the threshold. And you always heard these stories of some overpass that freezes up and people aren't ready for it. And the next thing you know, cars just crash into each other and their video showing up and all those sort of things. But that's what happens because it's that road condition, even though the, everything else isn't freezing. A lot of times it's because, you know, the, the earth has been warmer going into some winter event and that that whole area's got to cool off. It's not just the surface itself because it's it's holding kind of the temperature of the ground right underneath it. But those exposed surfaces, the air above and below equals out and it makes it right at that freezing point and it's just too late. And, and like I was saying with fog, you know, fog doesn't set up everywhere. It needs just the right conditions, just in the right spectrum that these subtle little things can be going on. And the next thing you know, whammo, it's very impactful. And heat waves that we've been dealing with are very similar. I do think with cold, we get a better sense of it. And partly because we go outside and cold just feels so different to us. But with heat, I don't know that we are is equipped or is used to knowing the difference between, you know, what feels like 35C versus 40C. Maybe we have some of that, but it just seems like we're not quite as used to it on that front. And we find ourselves in those dangerous situations. Not to say it doesn't happen on the cold side, but for whatever reason, maybe we're just more attuned to how to deal with it when we're cold, throw on another layer or stay inside where it's warm. And, you know, it's, I don't know. It, it it was very disheartening for me to hear about all these deaths this week. And I know there's a lot of people dealing with it. And it's just a reminder that there's so much in our lives that these little differences can make a big impact. And it's a reminder that weather, sometimes the weather, we can't see at all. That we go from this threshold of getting by to it being too late and it can happen usually not in a short period of time. We, we kind of let it go for a few days. So if you're in one of these situations, look for places to cool off, look for ways to, I don't know, like I said, stay hydrated is a key one because actually that's part of evaporative cooling. If you can't sweat, you can't regulate the same way. So take care of yourselves, stay safe out there. But also, just remember the next time you're craving some umami, that there's much more to weather than the weather itself. <laughs>